I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... There's all sorts of data hiding in documents, in what people say, in how people say it, in the words they choose. And you take a look at it, and you could pretty well figure out not just what somebody's saying, but also what they're not saying. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Today we have as our guest, Bill Frischling. He's the VP of Alternative Data at Fiscal Note, a D.C. company. And for the record, Bill brought in two of his six to eight Diet Cokes that he drinks every single day into the studio. So I'm kind of jacked up just talking about talking to him. But he had a couple of things you'll want to hear more about. First, computer security. With quantum computing, yeah, it's coming down the road. Quantum computing, there will be no such thing as a password. Imagine that. Secondly, we talked about speech recognition and sort of a lie detector. Uh, Imagine a day when your lobbyists or your legislators, everybody, you'll be able to tell kind of when they're nervous, maybe not being so truthful. And lastly, Tesla. He and I each own a Tesla. It's not about Tesla, but connected cars. They are gathering data about you that someday we might not be so happy about. Here's our conversation. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Good to see you, Mark. So fiscal note, uh, let's talk about sort of the origin story, as they say, with with you and I and now you. Fiscal note has raised a lot of capital, D.C.-based, mm-hmm. founded by Tim Wang and some colleagues, who I guess is a younger CEO. So it's really exciting. I think they're one of the great examples of a D.C.-based company that's taken some real, some real, uh, gotten some real, real, real traction. What's sort of the elevator pitch for fiscal note these days? So basically, we are the we're the one stop shop if you need data and for anything related to the government. That's about as short as I can do it. Government um, in U.S. and elsewhere, correct? Government in U.S. and globally. You'll you'll forgive me. You know I'm the nerdier side. So yes. Elevator pitches aren't my strongest thing. Understood. Or a long elevator ride. But <laughs> alternative data. What a great yes. title. You can sort of do. You can run where the where where things go, right? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. part of what alternative data is is there's you know regular data which people think of spreadsheets things like that numbers. But there's all sorts of data hiding in documents, in what people say, in how people say it, in the words they choose. And you take a look at it and you could pretty well figure out not just what somebody's saying, but also what they're not saying, which is kind of fun. When you and I worked together, there was a lot of terminology thrown around in our old company, Fact Squared, which you founded. And I helped fund and then became CEO. Then you became CEO and grew it and sold it. So mazel tov on that. But AI and machine learning were the labels that uh, we put on a lot of stuff that we were doing I would argue, you and I have chatted about this offline, that those terms are being stretched in a lot of places and maybe they don't deserve to be. H- how would you describe AI and machine learning today? So AI and machine, you you actually hit on it in terms of being stretched. They're kind of becoming Kleenex. They're yeah. just you, you know, or, you know, Googling something. AI and machine learning essentially allow you to simplify tasks without necessarily specifying what the task is. Okay. So you can ask a machine in a machine learning scenario, you could ask it something like, um, tell me if this person is changing how they're talking and it will break everything down from words to math and then put it all back together again and give you the results. Um, it could also find things that you're not looking for. So you could tell a machine, I'm looking for these three things, look at this data and go find me what you think is interesting for lack of a better term. And it will go through and sometimes come up with some really terrifying observations that you would have never thought to look for. So it's, it's kind of the equivalent of the, the old joke of you could redo Shakespeare with a million monkeys with typewriters. This is a trillion monkeys with typewriters. Okay. Um, you just cover a lot more ground. But the key point, I guess, whenever I hear you talk about this and we chat about it or whenever anybody talks about AI is data. Absolutely. Right? That's the oil of today, perhaps. And I guess AI, I mean, my joke, you've heard me say this, our intelligence is not artificial and machines can't learn. But 
with enough data, it's about patterns. It's all about patterns and pattern recognition. To to your earlier point on Kleenex, um, the classic thing is everybody either thinks AI is evil, going to destroy everything, thinks it's this magical machine, or they think it's complete garbage. And of course, like most things in life, the answer is somewhere in the middle of all of those. Yeah. It's going through and looking for patterns, and really what's caught up with it is a lot of these algorithms, in some cases, they're decades old. But the hardware and the ability to actually run these algorithms has become so inexpensive that what was a pipe dream 80 years ago when Bell Labs thought of it is now something you could spend three cents on and do if you know what you're doing on any server. And that's only increasing. So processing power, what's the new uh, what's the new super duper processing power we're all talking about that's going to get bigger? I'm spacing on it now. So there there's a new algorithm called GPT-3, which, as, as you can tell, all named by nerds. We're also great on marketing. Yeah, um, horrible marketer. Yeah. Yep. Um, but what that is is that's actually an exercise in computing power. It took, even in modern times, I, I, the number I read was over $10 million in just computing power just to actually crunch this model. Wow. So it wasn't necessarily anything new per se in what it was doing. It was its ability to absorb essentially the entire internet and say, go figure things out. Um, <laughs> whereas before you just couldn't put the whole internet in. So you could do – I've been playing with it now for a couple of months and it does – some incredible things and it does some terrible things. You can say, make me a web page that where people can enter their email and make sure the email's right and it will write the code for you. You can also say, summarize this speech, and it's one of my favorite examples, and it will give you a brilliantly written summary that has absolutely nothing to do with the speech you gave it. Right. But it reads so well, you're like, it's it's almost the perfect liar. It can't discern between fact and fiction because it's learning from the internet. Well, it's going to do great in Washington, D.C. then. Oh, absolutely. Know. It but says I, everything convincingly. As great liars do. Actually, I was thinking more about quantum computing. Forgive uh, me for not remembering. So that, sorry. walk me through that, because that seems to be a real step up in power. So quantum computing, um, th- th- there's an old joke, which is there are four people in the world who understand quantum mechanics, and three of them are insane. Um, <laughs> and I would argue that's still true. I would be the first to say I am uniquely unqualified to talk about quantum computing. Well, that's which, why you're here. But so are most people. Yeah, yeah. Um, the main thing is all computing uh, now is based on binary bits, ones and zero. Everything to a computer is a yes or a no, mm-hmm. which leads to logical constraints, which is – 20 trillion yeses and noes doesn't necessarily get you to a maybe. Quantum computing, the easiest way to grok it, and I'll be honest, this is how I understand it, is you give it a problem and it quite literally in an instant does every possible variation, could be trillions, tens of trillions of things, and immediately arrives at the correct answer if you program it correctly Mm -hmm. without it having to go through those steps. Yeah. So the ability even for things in government like encryption and things like that, that's where people get very nervous on quantum encryption is because theoretically it's doing things that every computer in the world couldn't crack in a trillion years and it looks at something, you know, if you're generating on current computing and you hand it to a quantum computer in theory, it would just instantly open it up because well, it you could mi- try 20 trillion combinations instantly. Y- you mimic exactly what my buddy who's uh, head of research for IBM, my college classmate, said. I once asked him, what is quantum going to do? He said, there will be no passwords left. Yeah. That that protecting something with a password, even something extraordinarily complex, will uh, be able to be defeated rapidly. And then you get into the spooky aspect of quantum, which I love. And again, do not understand. It's one of those you accept at face value. Yeah. Where there is no such thing as distance in quantum. So you let's say let's take um, Elon Musk, our favorite person. Yeah. Um, and he's on Mars. In theory, in quantum, it is theoretically possible to instantly communicate with no light speed lag because of quantum entanglement. So now you throw in where they talk about quantum internets, 
in theory, there is zero lag time whether you're on opposite sides of the city, opposite sides of the planet, or in a different galaxy. Wow. Yeah, it's a brain cramp. It is beyond a brain cramp. Yeah. But let's get back to what you're doing at Fiscal Note and what Absolutely. we did together and what you founded at, at, at Fact Squared. It was analysis analysis of speech. Correct. You were finding that – I was so incredible when we were first working together. You were finding that you could find patterns that would show when somebody was – I won't say upset, but there was something different about them that Correct. day. And then – it became not a lie detector, but you would see patterns where if you knew a baseline, you could start to see when somebody was different. Tell me some examples that you see or saw back then of, of, of that. Oh, God. Uh, that, yeah. You, well, but well you, let's I, take Boeing. Remember the Boeing. great Boeing, oh. Boeing example. So, for example, when we were analyzing Boeing earnings calls, and granted, this was looking back not in real time, it stood out. Boeing was talking about the 737 MAX since 2011. Yeah. And you could see – Right at the time where it came out later was the time the executive management found out about it, where essentially how they were talking about it, everything changed. The words may have sounded the exact same to everybody, but it was a combination of everything. It's what we call when your brain gets in front of your mouth. Yeah. Most people are very relaxed talking. They're saying three words a second. There's a connection and it's just flowing out. When you stop and go, I should think about it, everything about how that person talks changes. Yeah. Their voice stress changes. Their rate of speech changes. Um, the words they choose change, how they think about it, their filler words. The, the the example we use often is, you know, wow, Mark, that's a very good question. Thanks for asking that. I just bought myself three seconds to think about how I'm going to respond. Right. Though All of those are indicators. And what we were able to do wasn't necessarily anything unique in any one place. Voice stress analysis has been around for half a century. Um, looking at words and word patterns, they've been around. But it was two things. It was being able to look at this in combination almost in real time. 200 over 230 different data points per word spoken and then also the ability to look back in trend when people talk about let's say voice stress they'll say well it hasn't reliably been, been proven to show lying or this or that and that's true but it has been reliably proven to show stress and now imagine you're looking at it where in the example we were analyzing Donald Trump you could look at everything he said on a topic over the last 40 years and you could see the patterns, mm -hmm. and they stood out like a sore thumb. You were looking at the earnings calls that the Boeing Corporation would do every quarter, which publicly traded companies Correct. did. And you saw patterns that showed that things started to get different when they discussed this particular topic. Correct. It, it, we flagged when we were doing what's called a regression test, looking back in time to test the algorithms. We were able to see patterns that were just stood out like a sore thumb in the Boeing call, which basically was how they were talking about the Boeing 737 change. Yep. The bot didn't know what it was. The bot didn't know that there would be obviously crashes and fatalities, but the bot knew from the, its perspective, everybody talking about this is talking about it differently than they have been the last six years. Yeah. And we use those as flags, both in politics and in finance, to identify when people are speaking about things. If an executive gets up and says, and I think our Earnings are looking phenomenal for the coming, you know, are looking excellent for the coming year. And it flags it. What the bot's saying is, we've heard this person talk about earnings in the last six years, 24 calls. This is different. Usually different isn't good. Yeah. Doesn't necessarily mean it's not. And we have hundreds of cases where we've but, gone through that and bears out. But different could be that they got in a fender bender on the way to work, had an argument with their spouse, right? So the source of difference isn't really the issue here. It's the trend, right? It's the trend and the combination. If you're In your example, if you're having a bad, bad day, and we see this all the time, your voice stress may spike, but we're looking going, they're talking at the same rate, their choice of words hasn't changed, how they're saying, how they're discussing it. To your point, they're just having a bad day. It's when all of those things move in lockstep. Yep. Because at the end of the day, people reflect, or the vast majority of people don't like lying. 
It's an uncomfortable thing, and your brain works overtime trying to almost fill in that. And the second your brain steps in, you're no longer talking how you would normally talk. You're talking differently. And it's all of these little, it's the equivalent in poker of where there are some people that can just look and go like, yeah, no, you're bluffing. And we all know somebody who are like, yeah, I'm not playing poker with that person. Yeah. This is that person you don't want to play poker with because once it learns, and we focus this on public figures, once it learns, you can say what you want, but we'll know whether or not you're saying what you're kind basically what you mean or what you're comfortable saying. Rephrase. We're talking with Bill Frischling. Uh, he and I are talking a little bit over each other, which is the beauty of our relationship. <laughs> Bill is the VP of Alternative Data at Fiscal Note, a D.C.-based company with information and analysis surrounding legislation, be it domestically or globally. So right. you touched on it earlier. Often AI and ML are attacked or people are paranoid about them because an algorithm can have inherent bias. And sometimes you Absolutely. don't see it until it's too late. What are you seeing examples of that being and, and how are people addressing it? Oh, tons of people are addressing it. There are a number of examples. Um, the most commonly cited, and it's true, is um, some of the earlier algorithms looking at photos, Google, among others, um, would misidentify African-American people. Um, and the main thing they looked and said, wait a minute, well, we trained the model mostly with white faces. Yeah. There's a lot more sensitivity to that. Um, Lord knows we look at it in terms of when we're pulling in language and analyzing folks. Um, we make sure that we're balancing and feeding in just what that person's saying. Because we focus on public figures, we run into that less. But the bias is a, it's, it's a huge problem. It's people, they're not trying to bias the algorithm. There was a very famous example about five years ago. Microsoft let a chatbot go on, I believe it was Twitter, and inside a 24-hour, and say it will learn from people talking to it. And it was a racist conspiracy theory crazy person inside of 24 hours. <laughs> it did a phenomenal job of learning from the internet, yes. just not what they were expecting. Yeah. So these are the things we have to watch out for. Once again, we're talking with Bill Frischling. He's VP of Alternative Data at Fiscal Note, a D.C.-based company. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. When we come back, we're going to talk about where AI and technology are taking us and things like, oh, I don't know, transportation, since Bill and I now own Teslas. We can chat about that. More to come. Keep listening. Our audience is an obvious one. Folks that care about Washington, D.C. and the environs. Folks that care about the federal news network. Folks that care about our nation. If you'd like to have your message heard by that kind of audience, be sure to contact us for sponsorship opportunities. You can email me directly at walsh at AOL.com. That's W-A-L-S-H at AOL.com. We're talking about artificial intelligence, AI, ML, machine learning, and all sorts of ways that technology are affecting our lives. Let's talk about D.C., Right? Sure. So it's some, some people call it a company town where legislation and regulation are one of the products we make up in the Hill and our federal government. Some of the things that you guys that, that in your in your job as an AI expert and you are, um, is lobbying going to be changed forever because lobbyists will be able to analyze language and even potentially legislators and learn more about their habits and maybe able to predict some of the things that are going on? Or is that like a brave new world? And I'm going too far. No, it's, it's not a brave new world. It's not here yet. But it's coming, like yeah. like everything else, kind kind of like in many areas where technology eventually hits a point where people can't ignore it anymore. Yep. Um, Washington, as you know, is a very ritualized. You know, there's the you know, I I very much I very much like Mark Walsh and I like Mark Walsh are two very different phrases in Washington. Yes, um, my good friend across the aisle. Ex exactly. <laughs> um, but for those things, particularly with our algorithms, 
they stand out like like a shining beacon because of the ritualization, because of the language, and that applies to most public events. When people wander off course or slightly change, it only makes it more obvious. So mm -hmm. if anything, I could see one scenario where people would be insane not to look at the data. Um, I could also see a scenario where people, just as people do media training now, they start looking and say, I need to shuffle up how I talk yeah, because I don't want to leave any signals behind, which is another scenario. Right. Or there's the third scenario with one of my favorite people. Um, you could go the Vladimir Putin route and give no signals whatsoever, but I don't know who wants to do a couple of thousand hours of KGB training. <laughs> that would be... That would be uh, un un unappealing to me. But to your point, you you touched on earlier about playing poker. Everyone's got to tell, I, I think, and it's so hard for us to to keep it under wraps. And I think what you're what I hear you saying is, public events where elected politicians or legislators or unelected officials of all types. They're going to have to be conscious of their tells when they're making public uh, appearing at public events. Yes, absolutely. It's the equivalent of saying what you're not trying to say for yeah. all intents and purposes. Yeah. Now you're saying it. Yeah. Or at the very least, what you're saying becomes painfully obvious that you really don't want to say it. Yeah. Um, and that applies for both scripted and unscripted. Um, we love unscripted, but people also get into patterns when they're reading a script, too. And we look for those as well. You you're reading and you hit something you don't really like. That'll still stand out. Your brain's going ew. So is, is there you think there's a product someday that maybe you guys will make or maybe you'll make on your own where I could uh, tape myself and it'll find me my tell and I can actually try to localize the things that I do so I can try and hide it? Or is, is that day never going to come? Oh, come on. I've had that on you for like four years now, Mark. <laughs> um, no, Don't tell me the answer then. <laughs> the, the short answer is, is I'm sure yes. Um, yeah. There is, like everything else, we're big believers in this technology. It can be used. We view evaluating public figures as an absolute public service. It's valuable information. It could also be used for not necessarily good things. Like most things in the world, there's a good and a bad side. Yeah, and yeah, the question yeah. becomes, where is that going? Because well, we let's, don't look at individual people, private citizens, for that exact reason. Let's hop on somebody who does, or at least is certainly being accused of it, which is our buddy Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. The, they probably have accumulated more data on the planet than any company in history, I would argue, at this point. And there certainly are some, some conversations going on that imply they're using – I don't know if they're misusing the data, but what what's your sense of where a, uh, Facebook is today and what they're being accused of? My honest opinion is the heart is in the right place and it's getting not executed correctly. Okay. Um, if you were to ask Mark Zuckerberg, and obviously this is all just my opinion. This your isn't opinion. Based, I think, Understood. Um, you Duly know, noted. If you were to ask him uh, 10 years ago, do you think you'll ever swing a U.S. election? He'd probably laugh. But if he said yes, he'd say, yeah, in a good way. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on politics, you could argue whether it was influenced in a good way or not. I'll stay away from that. But yeah. that certainly wasn't part of the plan. It's the unintended side effects. The key is, what do you do once you realize here are uses we never expected that are happening? And in my opinion, Facebook is driven off a cliff, screaming on fire in, in responding to those situations. Right. They're just not adapting, in my opinion, to the reality of the situation, which is there are entire countries. Um, we have staff in Manila. Their Facebook is used the same way Google is here in terms of it. When you're talking the internet, everything's Facebook. Yep. Um, the leader there has used it in some cases to close down media outlets, to shut down, to spread misinformation, whatever else. And as near as I can tell, Facebook's paid lip service to it. Just in yeah. one example, Rohingya, in, you know, in in Myanmar is another example. They're seeing these things, and they could do things. They are very capable of doing things. They just don't appear to be doing what they should be doing. I don't know what the right answer is, but I think stop would probably be at the top of my list. So but let, let's talk about no. other giant agglomerators of data. Yeah. Google seems to have avoided all of these types of conversations. How do you think they've done that so well? 
on the bright side, they're not a social network. That's the first thing. So that Got makes it. it at least a little bit easier. Google also has, um, I think maybe second to Baidu, the most, as you said earlier, it's all about the data. Google's been collecting, I, the last number I heard was trillions of searches in a month. And not just the searches, even if they don't know you, Mark Wall, search for X, they know 1,700 people search for it. They know 1,234 chose this link, 334 looked at this link. Now multiply that out. And when you say, gee, I'm wondering where would be a good place to get pizza, that's how they're able to arrive at an answer that almost seems prescient. Yeah. Um, I've seen tests that people have done using Google Dead and other data where – Five minutes before you say, boy, I'd like a pizza. It says, hey, would you like a pizza? Yeah. Although, shockingly, people find that creepy. Not shockingly, it is creepy. Yeah, it is creepy. Um, but that's part of how they avoided it. I think part of it also is is Google, I've seen, uh, and this is just anecdotal, is able to work more in the gray. In other words, to your point of who watches the watchman, who decides these things, part of the trouble is they fall back on policies and nobody's yet screamed at the top of their lungs, there has never been a policy that applies to the entire world all at once, and you're trying to come up with one. Can yep. you please stop? Yeah. So let's talk about defense. I mean, mm-hmm. as a consumer, as you in your yeah. life, <clears throat> you're probably the wrong candidate for this, but how can, if possible, people stop themselves from being the source of collected information that alters their life? Right now, currently, not using social media is probably the single easiest way. It's job A. Job okay. A. Or if you're using social media, make sure it's private. Because part of the challenge is with Facebook is you're still giving the information to Facebook, but unless, you know, you, they're basically pooling it or sharing it around based on your settings. Yeah. And you're giving them the right to do that. Um, use Apple products. I don't own any stock in Apple, so I just want to be clear on that. But Noted. Apple is very serious about like, no, it's your data, yep. which has actually hindered their growth in a lot of areas. But that's their choice. But right now, honestly, that's it's the trade-off we're all facing. It's There is no clean answer. Um, there are services you could pay tens of thousands of dollars to to scrub you, but even that will tell you something if someone's like, why did they scrub themselves from the internet? Ah, I did not know those services exist. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're expensive. They're usually pretty good, but part of the trade-off is like, you use Facebook, never use Facebook again. You use this, never use that again. You Google, make sure it's always on the security session. You know, the list goes on, but essentially it's um, just shy of, um, and get that cabin, wrap it in tinfoil. Well, that was my that was my next joke, wrap yourself in tinfoil and smash yeah. your phone. But okay, so am I fooling myself because I've started to use DuckDuckGo? <laughs> so you laugh. Okay, I, I, I'm, fool, I'm fooling myself, aren't I? No, I'm, I'm terrified because I just had this conversation um, very recently with somebody else exactly with that example. Okay, so DuckDuckGo, for the, our listeners here on What's Working in Washington, is a search engine which claims to keep no data on what Correct. you search on. Do you think that's true? I think it's – if they were, let's put it this way. If they're asserting it – I would. I, I have. I have yeah. no reason not. To, I. I've been shown no evidence to disbelieve them. So they're asserting it. I'd say sure. But, yeah. but is that Sisyphus? I mean, am I? Am I pretending that I'm going to make an impact on my digital profile globally by doing that? Or is is the cat? Is the horse already out of the barn? Or whatever well, the analogy. Well, not to surprise any of the listeners, but you are Mark Wall, so I think the cat's out of the barn and has okay. been out of the barn for yeah. quite a cat bit. Cat and horse. A cat oh. and horse and the barn <laughs> ran away on that one. <laughs> It Good comes one. it comes down to everyone makes a trade-off. My wife, who luckily hasn't, you know, decided to smother me yet this week. Give it time. Um, oh, it'll come. Yeah. She has been moving away from social media for that exact reason. And yeah. it has been having an impact in, at least in her opinion, and what's going on. And I think it has been having an impact. Yeah. But in the DuckDuckGo example, my trouble is, is Google pretty much always answers my question. So yes. I've used DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo makes you work a little bit to find Way the answer. Harder. No, it's ab- you're absolutely right. It's not It's not as good. I'm right. sorry to say. Maybe that's because the richness of the data from Google. It's the Google has orders of magnitude more data than just about everybody else. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why they're good. 
and you could download that information. Google makes it available, and I'll be direct. If you ever want to actually terrify yourself, download the list and discover that Google knows exactly where you were traveling on your mobile phone six years ago and gives you the entire itinerary. God, I hate talking to you. It just bums a living. I mean, I get so damn paranoid, but you know what? We all should be way more paranoid. But let's talk yeah. about a new level of paranoia as we close yeah. up our conversation. Again, it's what's working in Washington. We both bought Teslas. Absolutely. And that that is a data gathering machine on wheels, correct? It's a computer that drives. Yeah. It's not a car. Can we control what they know about us or not? Yes, but again with trade-offs. You don't have to share your driving data, but it won't give you ever give you full self-driving if you don't. So that's a choice you make. All right, so if I don't want full self-driving, and for those of you who do not own a Tesla, that means it literally drives for you, I think, although it's sort of a lie. Mostly, yeah. yeah. If I don't want that and I just want regular, you know, regular stuff like accelerator and brake and stuff like that, I can turn off a lot of the data that gathers. You can turn off a lot of it. But like an example, and you could see it when they do accident investigations where people have um, done stupid things like I'll go to sleep in the back seat and leave my car driving, <laughs> which you are not supposed to do. Oh, um, shocker. Tesla is literally able to pull out millisecond by millisecond exactly what happened down to like the square inch and replay it for you and say, yeah, you were in the back seat. So there's a black box effectively like the, F the FAA has for, for planes. For all intents and purposes, I don't believe you could turn that off at all. I, okay. I want to be clear. I don't know, but I don't think you can, even if you opt out of sharing. I think there's still that allowance. Well, as we wrap up here with, the, with the, uh, the potential risk of boring our listeners, so I did notice recently that Tesla has a interior cam that will mm -hmm. monitor my eye movement and facial uh, behavior to see if I'm paying attention when I'm using full-service driving. Correct. That's big brother, big sister, big everything. Don't you think? Yes, and it already exists in so many places. I can't even keep track of Stop. where they do that. You're bumming me out. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. true. But this is where. But that's an easy one. Um, I'm not allowed to put any security cameras inside the house for that exact reason. Facial recognition. Right. You can tape over the camera. All right. So this is the uh, Wave of Magic Wand time in our show, Bill, where we get to ask our guests... If they could change one thing in the in the federal state or or federal state or local regulation or laws or whatever about technology, what would it be? And one thing you would add a law or regulation or something that would change the market. What's one thing that you would get rid of if you ran the world for a day? To be honest, I'm not sure there's anything I would get rid of personally. It's more what I would add. Okay, there does need to be to the point of this conversation. Well, there needs to be some regulation, in my opinion. Yes. The trouble is, is it needs to be nuanced, and at least of late, nuance is sometimes a little bit challenging. Um, you can't just ban things. Show me an example of where technology was banned, where it suddenly went away. It doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. But you need you need the balance. A, a very under fifteen second example: facial recognition. It's illegal in Illinois, but the intent was so that you can't look at Seven Eleven cameras. Not that I'm identifying who's talking on the floor of Congress. Yeah, that would be an example of knee jerk reaction. Yeah, but there needs to be something because it. We just can't keep avoiding it. It has to be addressed. Who point. will watch The Watchers? Exactly. Bill Frischling, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure to have you in the show today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Mark. It's What's Working in Washington. That was Bill Frischling, Vice President of Alternative Data for Fiscal Note and an expert in AI, machine learning, and all things scary about technology. Thanks for listening, everybody. What's Working in Washington is brought to you by a very talented team. Besides me, the host, Mark Walsh. We have our executive producer and editor, Tracy Madigan. Assistant producer is Anna DeGraff. And the theme music you enjoy is performed by The Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.